You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Today on Versus Node, we bring you the best of the seventh generation. I'm Eddie Anzato, your host, editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com, and I'm here with many of the usual GamerNode crew. We've got a big show today. First up, we've got Anthony LaBella. Hey there. We've got Mike Murphy. Yo. We've also got Greg Galiffa. Hello, hello. And Josh Robinson. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. The pizza man himself. Heck yeah. All right, guys, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, we might as well get right to it. There have been a lot of games over the past eight years, and we went through a little narrowing process, and we've come to ten games that we'd like to call out as some of the best, potentially the best, ever in the history of last generation. <laughs> um, so let's, let's start it right off with something super new from 2013. Anthony, tell us about The Last of Us. Yeah, so this one came out just months ago, but left a huge impression on me and a lot of other people. And it's amazing to think of this game coming from Naughty Dog, a company that made the Uncharted series where you had these incredibly engaging characters. Nathan Drake was this charismatic protagonist. And then we're presented with Joel... This character who's going through emotional stress, being in this post-apocalyptic world, you don't, it's hard to like him right out of the gate. There's something about him that's a little bit off-putting. But then that makes the relationship that he forges with Ellie later on, the little girl in the game, it makes this authentic relationship that you really latch onto. And that was, that was the thing that made the biggest impression on me when I played The Last of Us, was this relationship between Joel and Ellie. And I think it's one of the one of the best video game relationships we've seen in games in the past eight years or so. And in general, the storytelling in The Last of Us is really incredible. The way it shifts from one season to the next, and you meet all these different characters and see the situations they're in and how they're approaching this new world where the infected can kill them at any moment and how they have to survive and find things to make emotional connections with in order to keep on living because it's not easy to live in this world. And... So the narrative is really great. I've heard a lot of people say the narrative doesn't match up with the gameplay and that it's a really impressive game from a storytelling standpoint, but it doesn't play as well. And I, I don't agree with that either. I think it's also one of the best games of the generation based on its mechanics because a lot of games promise you the option to approach situations in various ways. You can be stealthy, you can attack, you can run away. But it never really feels that way. I felt like The Last of Us really did cater to however you wanted to approach the situation. I definitely ran away like a coward at certain times. I would just throw a brick and attract everyone's attention and just start shooting at times just to make a big firefight because I felt like it. There were times where I tried to be stealthy, even though I'm terrible at that most of the time in games like this. So so I felt that it really did cater to all those play styles, which made the entire playthrough feel fun and engaging the entire time. And... And I think that was just as strong as the narrative, even though the narrative is the thing most people talk about when they talk about how great The Last of Us is. So I think it's a complete package. Uh, huge props to Naughty Dog for 
branching out a bit and making this game after the success of Uncharted. They're very different games, and I love both the Uncharted series and The Last of Us, but it's really great to see this new property from such a great company. As good as the the single player was and the narrative and the mechanics, uh, I was incredibly surprised with how well The Last of Us integrated its multiplayer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they brought a bit of story to it and made something completely different that you really hadn't seen before in multiplayer, which was they took uh, Facebook and social media integration and gave you the story of you were the leader of a group of survivors and your camp is made up of your Facebook friends. So huh. every time you failed to like do um, like complete enough challenges in multiplayer and, and failed challenges for the camp, and if characters died, you basically had to look in the updates of your camp, look at the faces of your friends from Facebook who you like failed to keep alive and who died. <laughs> That's uh, <horrible. laughs> which I thought was really unique and really cool. And there's also the fact that they didn't really do much to change up the multiplayer at all from really the single player. It was a lot of the very same mechanics. They didn't really try to fancy anything up or like try to over exaggerate certain things uh to make the game more like arcadey i guess uh like a lot of multiplayer games will do and it, it it just felt like playing the single player but with other people you had to be careful you had to be stealthy uh if you popped yourself out into the open you were basically screwed just like uh when you played as Joel in uh the campaign that's awesome. That's that's kind of my favorite approach to multiplayer. I think it feels the most authentic and the, the least um, tacked on. Let's move right on to the next game, which Mike, you can you can just continue to have the floor here because we're talking about Red Dead Redemption, and that was one of your choices. Yeah, it was. Uh, one of the main reasons why I I feel that Red Dead Redemption was one of the best games of the generation. Um, was for the sole fact that before <clears throat> Rockstar tackled this project, nobody really thought that a Western game could be successful. Uh, there had been games that had tried it in the past, and the closest game that really came to it was uh, Gun on the original Xbox, which was okay, but not really that good. And it never really captured that uh, kind of spaghetti Western feel that classic Clint Eastwood films had. But... Uh, Rockstar did their work and did their research and made just a game that lived and breathed Western. Uh, it, it embodied the genre so perfectly that it just it blew me away. And clearly, obviously, based on the sales and the reviews, it blew a lot of the gaming uh, populace away as well. Uh, and I think another testament to that game's success was... Uh, how well Rockstar was able to make it feel like a living, breathing world. Uh, you could be walking around um, or riding your horse and just suddenly come upon random travelers at a campfire telling stories to one another or some woman who whose wagon is broken down when really it's uh, a gang that's ready to pounce out and attack you and try to take your money. Or you could just be out in the wilderness doing your own thing and a mountain lion comes from out of nowhere and jumps on top of you. Uh, it just made you feel like you weren't so much in a game or in this open little like box for you to run from point A to point B or mission one to mission two to mission three. It actually felt like there was 
there were things going on all around you and that um, it didn't really matter what you were doing in the sandbox because ev all the AI and everything else was going to go around and do its own thing regardless with or without you. Yeah, it's pretty cool to have that, that sort of living world around you. And I, it's something that I really enjoyed in um, the Fallout games. I, I always consider Red Dead Redemption and Fallout 3 like in the same breath, despite them not being exactly the same. I feel like they both embody that real Western feel and that, that exploration of a desolate world and a dangerous world. And Fallout 3 was uh, one that I had considered you know, as one of the best games, and it, it falls right in line with, with that same feeling that you've got there with Red Dead Redemption. Exactly. Uh, it provides this new open world to explore, because when I think of open world games, I obviously, Grand Theft Auto's the big sandbox series that Rockstar also made, so when I think of these open worlds, I think, okay, I'll go play darts, I'll go bowl, I'll go to a strip club, all these activities that happen in a city. But being, being presented with with this this new world because it's a western game was exciting and i loved hunting and exploring the countryside and just i always when i think back on red dead redemption i always think about my favorite thing in that game and it was simply traveling on horseback to the next location i never used fast travel i just liked exploring this world and simply riding my horse to the next location because it was this new interesting environment to explore that we hadn't really seen effectively made in other games like mike said you hadn't really seen western games that were successful maybe only a little bit but not really on this scale so i i just loved being in this new world that was exciting and interesting and a far cry from something like a grand theft auto or a saint's row but pretty close to far cry three red dead redemption also featured some of the best um original music oh, for yes. a game Amazing. in this generation. Oh, yeah, definitely so, the way they integrated it was, was really well done. It was very movie-like, like very cinematic. Masterful. And it really helped you, really helped add to the atmosphere and help uh, just, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for, amplify the narrative, mm. uh, which in itself was, was really great. And the game gave us one of the great characters of the generation, too, in John Marston. Right, yeah, definitely a, a likable sort of guy, or at least a, uh, an interesting guy. Um, another game that, that kind of shifted the way we think about um, a particular genre, or even that a genre, it, it created a genre, really, uh, was Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. And Greg's going to talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if, I think if there's one franchise from this past generation that's really impacted the way that first-person shooters and the way that online multiplayer is designed, I, I would point to Call of Duty 4 or the Call of Duty franchise um, and, you know, Call of Duty 4 being the the first one that really changed the how, how we perceive those things. Um, I realized that it was an important game when I was over my friend's house back in 2007 when it was released and uh, he showed it to me and I... I honestly couldn't tell what was going on on the screen. Um, I'm not a big multiplayer guy. And when I was watching him play it, it just like, it didn't seem like there was any type of strategy or, or uh, any type of rhyme or reason, anything. It was just chaos to me and the reaction and the adaptability and everything like that, that was required in order to uh, succeed in the game was just so daunting to me. And I think that's like, it just speaks to what, 
Infinity Ward was going for and how it influenced the rest of gaming. Um, not only in terms of design, but in terms of community. We have now so many people playing it. I, I think they've sold, I, I don't know how many copies of that game, but millions upon millions of copies of that game have been sold. And it's now um, kind of given, given a resurgence to a crowd of gamers that may not have otherwise been there. I know that I've worked with people in their, you know, uh, middle-aged people that only play Call of Duty games because that is the one thing they look forward to on systems. And I think it allows a conversation to take place that wouldn't have taken place beforehand of me, someone who's more embedded in games that aren't very popular or, you know, uh, may not be as well known in the mainstream to talk to those people that only play Call of Duty games. And it kind of like allows us to have more of a, uh, you know, direct line of sharing and things like that. So like, you know, oh, you like Call of Duty? Well, you know, check this out. And I think that's like one of the more valuable things the series has delivered uh, just outside of gameplay. But, you know, the, the, the community behind it that's also grown over these past, you know, uh, near, nearly seven years now, uh, it's just, it's so impressive to me. And it seems like, you know, we're now, now with like Black Ops, and um ghosts and with the battlefield franchises i feel like they're kind of stagnating so i'm interested to see like what happens next with this community where it goes to next i don't think any other game let alone just series but game has ever really done much to revolutionize or change up the first person shooter the only other possible contenders i would argue would be the original Halo and maybe the original Doom or Doom 2. Um, and just everything it did for the multiplayer, like the per perk systems are in everything now. Yeah, and absolutely. before Call of Duty 4, those things, those did not exist. Nobody ever thought of perk systems or a multiplayer leveling system in, uh, um, in first-person shooters before. It just wasn't done. And it's interesting because, you know, they they quite brilliantly just took elements from role-playing games and gave people that, you know, that sense of accomplishment that kept them coming back for more. Like, they just crafted the game in such a way that, like, you never want to stop playing it because it's like, it's like, a, it's like gambling, going to a casino. Like, you just want to keep winning because it just, seeing that bar fill up after, you know, you complete... Uh, a match it's just like one of the most satisfying things so you just want to keep going and going and playing more yeah, it's the exact same grind effect that got people addicted to world of warcraft for so long exactly except exactly. except uh activision and infinity ward went and found a loophole in the system and when you reached max level guess what you can prestige and do it all over again the um infusion of role-playing elements not only in first-person shooters but in all kinds of games has been a real sort of uh, reawakening of each of the genres that those elements are are put into. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's let's move to what I think might be a couple of the best role playing games I've ever experienced. Um, Anthony, tell us about the Souls games, or you said Dark Souls, right? Yeah, so I'm in this weird position where I first played Dark Souls this year. I waited, I was scared, I, I was terrified, <laughs> everyone told I'm me it's scared. crazy hard, I don't like hard games, no way. But I finally went in, 
And I feel like Dark Souls <laughs> is this statement to the video game community. Hey, guess what, people? Not every game needs to appeal to every player. Either you're all in on Dark Souls and Demon Souls, or you're not. And that's totally okay. But if you dive in and you get into this series, it is incredible because the feeling of accomplishment after beating a boss in Dark Souls is one of the most exhilarating things I've ever felt. It really does make you feel like you've improved and you've learned the systems and you've been practicing and here is this, this practice has paid off. You killed this boss, you're rewarded with your souls, now go cash them in and level up. It's, it's this amazing feeling that I don't feel a lot of games are able to replicate. And it also creates this community, which I partially missed out on because I played it so late. But when this game first came out, it's incredibly mysterious. There's backstory, but you really have to dig deep to find that backstory. You have to read item descriptions to learn about this kind of stuff. And it builds this community where everyone is contributing to the overall experience. Like, I don't know what this item is. I wonder what it is. Well, this person on the message board figured it out because they found it. And then they made a wiki about it. And here's another wiki where they go into all the environments that people first found. And here are these complicated mechanics where you have to drop an item here to activate this. And it's all of this crazy, mysterious stuff. But then you read about it online and it becomes a whole other experience where I felt like I spent a ton of hours just reading about Dark Souls and learning about things I didn't know about while I was playing it. And it, it takes this, what seems like a niche game, and it creates this huge phenomenon. I can't believe how many people love Dark Souls and Demon Souls. It's kind of amazing yeah. when you think of how challenging it can be. But it shows that people who appreciate a challenge and want to overcome these obstacles, they're provided with this experience that's unlike anything else of the past generation, I think. Yeah, and I think people who play these games, the community is just amazing because once you mention it, people will come out of the woodwork to talk to you about <laughs> <They> was, <laughs> this game. Like, they'll just rise up through the floor and be like, oh, yeah, you got to blah, blah, blah. They'll talk about everything and listen and watch and help you and relay their stories and their strategies and everything just, just for that sort of camaraderie that comes with having played these games. It's like a badge of, of some sort. Um, I don't know. It's just it's an incredible experience. To me, those games are the closest equivalent to a video game drug. You know, whether it's those words coming across the screen when you beat a boss and you're like so relieved because you had a sliver of health left or just finding something new, building your character, getting a new weapon or whatever. There's just, there's so much there. It's, it's really the most rewarding gameplay experience I've maybe ever had uh, in terms of just consistently, you know, giving me obstacles and, and challenges and then and then making me feel amazing for having participated. I can't I I mean I've said enough about these games. I said talk about them all the time. <laughs> no, it was one of my choices too. So I, I'm I'm still personally uh, Anthony Anthony you mentioned being scared. Dude I still won't I, I won't even I understand play. dude. I um, understand. But same here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh it, at least from what i can tell it's it's a little like monster hunter isn't it um it, or maybe like mo at least monster hunter 3 like with the online uh, activity and and i know monster hunter doesn't really give any direction i don't know if, if this game does but i think i they, know they you seem mean, similar yeah I, I mean i haven't played monster hunter before but i think i know you mean in terms of in terms of not explicitly stating things having 
really complex systems, these huge boss fights, um, the online component I think you were mentioning, which is also a big part of Dark Souls, the laying down signs and summoning people to help you or PvP. So I think it is similar in that way, just maybe a little more hardcore, a little you know, more difficult, right. <laughs> more in-depth, more crazy, but also more rewarding because of that depth. Yeah, right. they're both about sort of like about finding your own way right. in a in a very daunting, frightening, oppressive, scary world, dangerous world. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think they pretty much just drop you in and they say, well, have at it. And it's like, <laughs> what am I doing? Goodness. Yeah, but it's good. It's good. I love it. Uh, moving on. Because uh, if we don't, I'll just continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, completely different subject matter. Let's go to space, outer space, and talk about Mass Effect 2. Mike, tell it, take it away. Well, Mass Effect as a series was arguably one of the best new series of the entire generation. And the reason why I at least believe that Mass Effect 2 is the standout out of the trilogy is because Mass Effect 2 is able to take uh, a lot of the overcomplications that came with Mass Effect 1 and able to streamline them while at the same time not having some of the, uh, at least in my opinion and a lot of others, uh, narrative mishaps towards the end of Mass Effect 3. Uh, the story as a whole didn't have stakes as high, but it still gave you just as many memorable characters, and you got to see how some of your choices in the first game slowly started to pan out, and you went to some unbelievable locations and got to unravel more of the mysteries of the world, such as figuring out who the collectors were, um, you know, what they were before they actually were the collectors, what became of, of those people. Um, and I think Mass Effect 2 was the true um, success in the series because obviously Mass Effect 3, usually if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, and Mass Effect 1 hadn't really completely succeeded uh, in the terms of kind of marrying that action, third-person kind of uh, like action-y, fast-paced combat with uh, with role-playing elements mixed in, with all the numbers flying and yeah. all those all those calculations going on in the background that happens in all different types of RPGs. Yeah, I think that one got caught in sort of like a limbo between what we saw in the Knights of the Old Republic games and what we finally got in Mass Effect 2. And, and I didn't think that Mass Effect 1 was really all that great. I thought it was kind of uh, cumbersome. You, you, just, you just bite your tongue. You bite your tongue. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it, it kind of was, it was trying to, to toe that line between the two types of gameplay, and I think it got hung up somewhere. And going a little bit further with Mass Effect 2 really nailed it. And that, that was kind of the highlight for me of the series. Exactly. Mass Effect 2 is also a, a primary example of what we saw a lot in, I believe, 2009 and 2010, which was a lot of sequels that were coming out that were just taking all of the feedback and all the things that were like good or bad about the original game and streamlining and perfecting those systems to make it better than ever before. Now, Jason actually chose Mass Effect... And he, he submitted a list, but he didn't choose Mass Effect 2. And just now, Greg, you told me to bite my tongue when I That's said right. I think bad about Mass Effect <laughs> 1. But you did choose Mass Effect 2 for your list. So 
I'll yeah. Hear, I want to hear your opinion. You like them all, or, or what's the deal? Mm, I like, yeah, I do like them all. Um, Mass Effect was by far one of the, my favorite um, franchises from this generation. I like the first one, though, because uh, I think the first one's story is at its strongest. Because um, I think in the second one is when they switched over, they, they changed writers or they changed the development yeah, team. Um, the first one, to me, just seemed to be aiming towards something that was kind of lost in the second and third one. Uh, I just felt like the the development of the characters and the friendships and the relationships that you build in the first one just seemed more, much more natural to me. And not to mention, I love the soundtrack of the first one more than the other two because uh, it sounds more like a sci-fi movie rather than like an orchestra. Um Yes, and you call Mass Effect 2 the better game. I'm calling Mass Effect 2 the better game because I think that the gameplay elements of it were stronger than the first. It was uh, it it improved on the things that the first one was trying to do, and I think it, in that way stands out as a better game for most people. Because mm-hmm. um, when I because you know we were doing our favorite list and the best of list, so I had to put my uh, you know, my uh, my personal view aside. So I, I know that Mass Effect 2 is normally regarded as the better of the first and the second. But for me personally, I will always love the first one the most um, because I felt like with the second one, it you weren't going around and doing missions in a natural way. It was more like, well, I have to improve my ship, so... Let me go do it for this person, and then we go do it for this person. And then when you got through like the first round of side missions for everyone, it's like okay, now I need to improve it again. And so you go through again and do side missions for everyone. And like it just felt more like a chore to me in the second one than in the first one, where it was like a just a natural uh, evolution of the story. As you mean, as opposed to just driving around in the Mako on planets. <laughs> see see that's the one thing that a lot of people match. didn't like i loved that about the first one i absolutely adored that about the first one i love being dropped on a planet even if it was like a copy and a copy and a copy and a copy something about just being dropped in there and just driving around and doing whatever i wanted on the planet and discovering some random uh you know base or something it i don't know something about it just was so much fun to me yeah it made it feel like the first game operated on a grander scale i always stand by the fact that if if we had taken the the scope of mass effect and put in the new mechanics of mass effect 2 we'd be talking about my favorite game of the last generation yeah i'm always a little bitter about that yeah sure i agree completely because in the Uh, second one the second one, if I'm if I'm remembering right, the second one they got rid of you know the exploring on the planets and you just kind of like yeah you like went from system to system and you, you did like the the planet mining thing is that was is that yeah. the second one okay, where you would so. scan a planet yeah you scan try to get mine. like yeah see like that was that was fun Lady I don't M know how and all they that did stuff. it but Bioware somehow made scanning planets for minerals fun um, <laughs> but. There was just something about the first one being able to just go like, oh, there's a random planet that I can just go down to and look at. Like, even if there's nothing there, the fact that I can do it, I don't know. Like, what what Anthony was saying, it's just like, it gives it like a bigger scale that kind of was uh, pushed, like it was suppressed in the later two installments for, in in sake of gameplay and, you know, uh, like, I don't know, 
getting better weaponry and things like that, a better leveling system. So we, know, I, so we basically I, all agree I, that the best Mass Effect game is a mashup between Mass Effect 1 and 2. <laughs> Pretty much. And oh, yeah. I'm going to say that we all agree that Knights of the Old Republic is better than all of them. <laughs> um, so here's the next game is actually interesting because a handful of us put this as a favorite game, but not as the best game, but a couple put it as one of the best games also. And this game is Uncharted 2. little backstory on that whole trilogy. I, I played through all three of them um, in probably about a week's time. And so it's like one big blur for me as to where they start and stop. But <laughs> <laughs> because like I, I, I got the first one when I got my PlayStation 3, which was right after they released the Slim, which I guess was 2008, 2009. 2009. It was right. It was. I know because I did the same thing. It was like a month before Uncharted Two actually came out. Right. So I picked it up. It was greatest hits copy, and um, I started to play. And I probably got about uh, maybe a third of the way through. And for whatever reason, I never, you know, ended up playing again. But uh, I took stock of my backlog, which is still huge, and decided, you know what, I need to play this game again. So I played through the first one, and I decided, well, I have to play the second one, and so. Uncharted 2 is probably that's the game that made me say that um, that Nathan Drake is cooler than Indiana Jones and I got a lot of flack for that from some of my friends but I, I stand by it <laughs> that that game was was uh, first of all I, th I thought the story was fantastic it had uh, at least two or three different really good twists to it um, things that I did not see coming and you know the skill, the, the scope, and, and the scale of it, the places that you uh, are going to explore. It, it truly felt like a cinematic experience, but honestly, I think maybe a little bit cooler than that. Um, I, the thing that stands out to me most is when you, you know, spoiler alert, in case anybody listening hasn't played this, um, is when you get to the sort of ruins of the the temple, the Buddhist temple, and. Uh, I, I know at one point, or I guess this is around the same point, um, you're going through, I mean, this is absolutely covered with snow, and you're going with your guide, he doesn't speak any English, uh, but it. you're going, uh, you know, just trying to get up to this certain area, and as you're climbing up, I think it was a ladder, or a rope, or something, yes. you see, you, you see, like, this big figure, just kind of, like, staring at you, it's in the foreground, but it's sort of blurred. Um, but then you see it move when you finally get up to the top. And uh, for a second, I thought, what was that? And then I just kind of blew it off, thinking that maybe I was just had just seen, you know, my eyes were, were fooling me. Well, as it turns out, a little later on, um, as you guys know, that definitely was not uh, me just seeing things. That that was the, the Yetis, which turned out to be something completely different even later. But uh, just the probably the best way for me to sum up that game is just that it was uh it's just epic it's just epic the gameplay was improved from the first game um i i feel like the first one kind of felt a little bit like gears of war um like with the cover system and everything but with the second one i, I felt like it wasn't quite as herky-jerky um yeah i just might think my thoughts about this are kind of like all over the place but but generally speaking i thought it was amazing mm -hmm. i'd also like to say that the narrative has probably had some of the best comedic timing of any game yeah. I've ever played too. Like, yeah. like you mentioned, Josh, right before you see the Yeti in that one scene, 
um, you're standing there as uh, Drake with Tenzin, and there's this huge gap that you have to like jump over because a bridge is down. And uh, Tenzin's getting ready to jump, and you hear Nathan Drake going, <laughs> "Yeah, right. There's no way you could ever possibly." And Tenzin jumps, spikes, catches it perfectly. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Great. Uh, and there were there were so many of those moments in there that brought so much excellent levity to it, which made which ba- completely balanced out the seriousness and the adventurous uh, tones of the of the I almost said film uh, of the game um, <laughs> that just made it feel so perfect uh, as an action adventure kind of globe trotting uh, Indiana Jones esque uh, adventure um, and it. it I, I'm. I just. I should just probably stop now because I'll probably just keep talking about this game for forever and ever. Everybody knows how much I love this game, how much I love the characters, how much I love the music and the multiplayer. Everything about it. I. I can't stop. Like not stop gushing about Uncharted Two. Yeah. Yeah. It, it might be my. It might be my pick for favorite of past generation. But uh, Josh is mentioning how it feels epic, and I all. I will never forget first i don't know five to ten minutes of that game with the train that's yes, yeah. one of the most memorable moments of the past eight years or so yes just that's the tutorial basically here's how you climb climb this train before you die and it's snowy and it looks like he's about to die and how do you even get in this situation i want to know how he got here it's just all of these emotions at once on this grand scale you're climbing this huge train it's just, it's one of the most incredible things i've ever experienced in a game and then the actual train sequence later in the game was also incredible in and of itself. Were you on the train? And I think that sequence was one of the, technically one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest technical achievements uh, in this generation. So because of the fact that everything happened so so scriptedly, yet at the same time, Naughty Dog went through so such painstaking efforts to make sure that the background flying past you at high speeds was highly detailed and never the same once. Even if you just stood there for like minutes at a time, you would see different backgrounds, different environments, and the environment changing around you. Yeah, that reminds me. Hopefully you weren't paying attention to that. I didn't enter into the next, like, last gen, the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 uh, generation. I didn't enter into that until 2008, is I think when I bought my PlayStation 3. Um, so, Uncharted 2 was the first game I got. Uh, it was my first official next gen title. And I remember playing through it, um, not having played the first one, just really like watching videos on the first one and learning about it. And Playing through for the first time, I just, I had never experienced a game that was so, so easy to just pick up and fall into for hours and hours. Um, and it, it, it was just so, it was so pretty. It was such a pretty, pretty game. Um, and it still is. At, and it was, I think it was like the first game, I think it was the first game I replayed uh, from my PlayStation three collection. Like it was the one game that I was like, I have to, I have to go back and replay this. And that's like a weird style of measurement on how good it is. But when there's so much out there to play at once and I'm just like, no, I have to, I want to replay this game so badly. Um, I think I replayed it like one, right when the third one was uh, about to come out. It is, it's just, 
one of those flawless, fun, um, humorous experiences. And it just creates a world that like you don't want to leave even when it's over. Yeah, and I think that is a, a really good measure. And I, I do think the wanting to replay it is a good measure of a great game too. Because when I feel like I want to immediately replay a game, I uh, I always consider that. Yeah, to, I mean to be a measure so, of greatness. Prince so many games used to. They'll do like the you know like oh you beat it now go back and replay it and you'll have all this stuff unlocked or whatever. And so many times I'm like yeah all right and I never do. But with, with Uncharted, I was like, yeah, I want to like boot this game right back up and play it again and over and over. Um, it's just like one of those very easily digestible, like 10, 10 hour games. Uh, yeah. And it's so much fun to watch, even if you're not playing. It's just fun to see everything happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I played played it over. I beat it. And then I think I enjoy I love the story and fell in love with the game so much that I think I immediately played the story over a second or third time. Yeah, I think I played it two or three times over in a row before I p- touched anything else. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. It's the first. It's the first game I was able to platinum or get a hundred, like all the achievements on in the generation. Nice, man. I don't know if I've ever gotten a platinum on anything. No, I haven't. <laughs> so we talk about Uncharted with the characters and their relationships with each other and, and their conversation and, and comedy and their timing and everything. But the next game introduced us to one amazing character who essentially carried the entire game on her electronic back in terms of comedic, dark, dark comedic timing. And uh, just just everything about GLaDOS was superb. So Greg's going to tell us about Portal, and then maybe we'll hear a little bit about Portal 2 also. So I don't get motion sickness often. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like really succumb to it. Like if I'm on a roller coaster, if I'm watching a movie that's like shaky cam, like it doesn't really get to me. When I first saw Portal, uh, and my friend was playing it, and I was just trying to watch it and know what was happening. Uh, there was one point where he was just like going back and forth between a portal and I I had him I was like dude you need to stop like I can't handle this like I, I'm gonna throw up <laughs> and I think that's the markings of a game that is so well designed and has such a uh, brilliant uh, world that you play in and the, the more remarkable thing about about portal not just the fact that you know, it was a, uh, a, f- a free game with the orange box. But I think the more remarkable thing is the story behind how it was made. It was just a bunch of students that, you know, were showcasing this, this thing they were working on. And Valve was like, yeah, we want it. Uh, we're going to hire you and you're going you're gonna to keep working on this and you're going to develop it into a game for us. And that game turned out to be one of the most uh, memorable, fun experiences from this past generation. Um, Portal is just one of those games that you feel like a genius when you play it. Uh, and I love those types of games because there's so few of them that I know and I can do and I can play. Uh, it's just one of those games that seems impossible. And then once you have the Eureka moment, it's like, yeah, okay, this is it. This, yeah, I, I'm, I could do anything. I'll go to the moon. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those games that makes you, like, it just gives you that, that, I don't know that that ambition and that uh, sense of confidence that 
I think is rare in gaming when it's so much about like uh, losing most of the time, like with multiplayer things and things like that, at least for me anyway. But with Portal, um, it just, there was so many elements to it. There was a culture that was created because of it with memes and the cake, the that damn cake. <laughs> and, you know, the music of it. Who who doesn't, who has heard Still Alive and thinks like, this is a stupid song? Answer, no one. Because Still Alive is Idiots. an incredible song that was featured on Rock Band because it was that good. Yes. Um it is it's just one of those timeless moments in gaming that i feel like we never really get and when they come it's just, i'm so happy that they're just like we appreciate them this much and we just create this culture around them um and you know they, it gave us one of the greatest villains in video game history glados was not only humorous and not only conniving but she was also sad you kind of felt bad for her by the end of the game. Like you felt like, you know, um, she was more the victim than you were. And I think that sense of empathy was done without hitting you over the head with it. It was just done in a very like, um, I don't know. It was just done through the gameplay. Like you just playing the game, not even really talking. You never talk. And, you know, there isn't much of a story behind everything. It's just kind of like, happens as as it goes and you still get such a rewarding experience from it even though it's a, a rather short game and i think that just that just speaks volumes about its design and its careful um its careful progression system yeah definitely portal portal kind of like came out of nowhere we'd already had half-life 2 which i actually thought of when i when we were coming up with this list and then realized oh wait that was too early but it felt like it was part of this generation especially because the orange box came out three years later in 2007 but portal really just shocked everyone too like out of nowhere i think that was a really important part of its success um which is you know it's not something that was really happening at that time it wasn't like all these indie games are coming out and they come out of nowhere and, you know, surprise people and they're really good things like, you know, gone home or whatever things, you know, that's sort of the norm now. But when portal came out, it was, it was a pioneer in that regard. Yeah. And I think that like the thing, the, thing, the great thing about portal is it showed that first person shooters like mirror's edge too. like it showed the first person shooters don't have to be about shooting. Yeah. Um, it can, you know, you can make that type of game, and it can be something as powerful and as and you know resonates with the, the the audience as much as anything else would, and you can just have a clever design to go along with it. Um, you know, I just I just think that is something worth uh, noting. Definitely. So, what happened with Portal Two? Then was that as good, or was it not as good, Anthony? Well- <laughs> I've kind of talked about this before. I think when we had the overrated, underrated podcast, I mentioned how I thought Portal was a little bit overrated, and I can't really argue with anything Greg said about the game, and its influence can't be denied. <laughs> you know, so, but I just felt Portal to me felt like a great idea or a great foundation for something truly special, because I also mentioned in the past how I felt like the difficulty didn't really ramp up until the end, and maybe that's just me. It felt like all the puzzles were a little bit too similar, and only near the end did I feel like Valve really explored the mechanics of the Portal gun to its true potential. But then with Portal 2, you have this bigger narrative. You have new characters. You have Wheatley, who I even prefer to GLaDOS, even though GLaDOS is fantastic. I think Wheatley is one of the best characters of the 
seventh generation. And then you have these new mechanics. You have the paint. You have the um those the gels. Those, yeah, yeah. And then there were a few others. I'm just drawing a blank right now. But you had all these other systems in place along with the portal gun to create this experience that was even had even more variety and felt like it operated on a bigger scale. So that when I was solving these puzzles, I felt even smarter than I did in Portal because these ones were really complicated. And then when I tried the co-op, which I think might be the most impressive aspect of Portal 2 is the cooperative campaign, you feel like a genius and so does your partner. And then you can start bragging to your partner that you're playing with. I figured it out and you didn't because I'm smarter than you because I did that with <laughs> my brother. Not together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I told him, you're stupid. I figured it out. I'm better. But it created this, and it felt truly cooperative. So I thought that aspect of the game was also super impressive. So as, a, as an overall package, it felt more complete. And that's why I felt like Portal 2 was one of the best games of the last generation and not the first one, even though the first one laid that foundation that obviously is important. Yeah. In any yeah, case, the, the two of them represent a sort of phenomenon in, in their shifting approach to game design, for sure. Thinking outside the orange box, if you will. Oh. <laughs> that was so clever. <laughs> uh, right, so before we move into the next game, which shares a few things in common with Portal, we're going to part ways with Greg, who has to take it off real quick. So thank you, Greg, for joining us up to this point. Um, we'll talk to you the next time. Sounds good. I'll see you guys later. See you. Adios. Later, Greg. So the next game on our list, um, like Portal, sort of shook up how we look at a particular game design, and it kind of, uh, you know, walked a path all its own. And that game is, of course, Journey, which uh, won an award here, won a bunch of awards here at Gamernode, and uh, was loved by all. Um, who's going to talk about it? That would be me. All right. Let us know. <laughs> All right. So Journey was, it was that, that was a very special game. Uh, it was, there's really nothing else like it. Um, and as, you know, everyone pretty much knows, it's it, the, the whole premise of the game is based upon what if you have to cooperatively, uh, you know, go through this game without being able to actually speak to your partner. And when you first start, uh, you're there in the desert, and um, you can kind of slide along the sand, uh, dunes and hills, whatever. And it, you finally do, you know, encounter your your partner there. And the only thing you can really do to communicate is uh, kind of chirp. Um, you have these little chirp sounds you can make, and uh, it is I'm trying to th really find the best words here. I don't know if I would truly call it a multiplayer or co-op game, but I wouldn't really call it a single-player game. Uh, it's kind of stuck in the middle. And, you know, each there, there are very distinct levels or worlds that you go through through this game. Um, and as you get closer and closer to the end, uh, you, can, you can certainly tell that your character, both characters, are sort of losing steam you know they they look like they're beat they're just you know hardly moving but uh one of the most interesting aspects of of this game that i thought is the fact that when you finish you find out oh i wasn't playing with the same person the whole time it actually will list off the different uh you know playstation uh, id names right there of who you actually played with 
And so you can actually, you know, you, you might actually pick it up during the game itself, uh, but maybe not in your initial run through, but people have different play styles. Um, you know, you can encounter people who are going to keep moving ahead, you know, not even really looking to see if you are, um, you know, in tow, if you're, if you're able to keep up with them. And some people are kind of like checking back every couple seconds to make sure that you've not fallen behind. But um, it's, there, there's not a true, you know, you, you don't fight in this game. You don't, um, you're not really puzzle solving, really. Um, it's the name itself, Journey, is a pretty descriptive, uh, you know, it's, it's a good way to describe the game itself is, is that that's all you're doing. It's, it's a journey from one spot to the other. But it's being able to get past different obstacles, um, usually without being seen. Um, it's if, if you haven't seen the game, if you don't have any experience with it, it's really kind of hard to explain. But I felt like it really, truly did something on an emotional level. Um, I know I actually at the end of it got a little teary eyed because it, it really is just sort of um, it, it does its job that well. And it when it actually restricts your ability to even communicate with people. Um, so it, it's not a long game. It's like an hour, but I, I've played it a couple times now and uh, it, it, it really is something special. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see something like quite like that for a long time. If ever uh, it, it was just really sort of its own thing. And it was, it was fantastic. Absolutely. I remember the first time I saw it, I just, I was like, this is going to change the way we we see video games, and I think it it has. I think it accomplished that. I was going to say, I remember Eddie and Dan and Jason just talking about it at E3 that year, and I didn't get a chance to take a look at it, and they really couldn't describe it to me, and I was looking at the video, and I'm like, there's no way this game can be as good as these guys are making it out to be. You're just you're just, you're just a dude walking along in the sand. Like what, what's so exciting about that? And then you know the, the buzz kept wrong. picking up about it, and uh, it started getting good reviews. And I'm like, all right, I because of how significant this is becoming, I have to play it. And like, I was so wrong <laughs> about my perspective of that game. I'd like um, to note this is on Mike's top five games of the generation now. Yes, it is. <laughs> it it completely just caught me by surprise. And when I normally play games, I'm normally all, like, excited. I've got, like, adrenaline going, whether it's through, like, frustration of challenge or taking on a challenge or just high-intensity action or whatever. And this was a game that was the complete opposite. I just got to sit there. And walk around. There was no, there was nothing telling me that I had to rush. I could take my time. Uh, the music, the atmosphere, it was all about just, it was all just telling me, relax, take it easy, just enjoy the journey. And I think it's awe inspiring as well that that whole game, as you're going through, you're looking at all these, these different things that you're not used to experiencing, like, in in other games or even in real life, you're just taking it all in and kind of marveling the whole time. Exactly. It was it was the most calming and chill and most chill video game experience I've had of the entire generation. It's because of that difference and because of how calm it made me feel that I it and how memorable of an experience it was that. It, it was on my top five. I feel like it, it's one of the best games of this generation. And like Josh said, who knows if it's ever going to be 
duplicate it or if anything's even going to come close to duplicating it. And then it gets you right in the feels. Yeah. Yep. Right in them feels. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I first played, I met my partner, and we started exchanging the little glyph symbols, the little sounds, and it even seemed like we came up with this system where like three in a row would would signify hey come over here and then two would mean something else and one <laughs> singular glyph would mean something else we really did create the system it really felt like that to me at least and then i lost him in the middle of the game him or her oh. i lost the character and i felt so lonely and i have no idea who this person is but that emotional connection had been made for whatever reason even though we're just exchanging symbols with each other and it felt so lonely finishing that game by myself and then I and tried to play a second out time. Out there somewhere. Thinking yeah, that. out there somewhere. I'll find you one day. And then, <laughs> and then the second time I played, I stayed with my partner the entire time. And that was another unique experience because we, we had that relationship the entire playthrough. And then you get to see, like Josh said, you get to see who you played with. It even shows the little username. And someone sent me a message. They go, thanks for playing with me, just over PSN. And I said, thanks for playing with me too. And it just creates this... Amazing emotional connection without text and without voice. And to me, that's important because when I play a multiplayer game, I don't necessarily want to talk to strangers. I don't... Yeah. Eh, maybe I'm antisocial. I don't know. But I don't really want to do that. So the idea that you can create a relationship without the need for text or voice is an incredible accomplishment uh, on their part when they made Journey. It's, it's completely unorthodox and different. Uh, based on the state of multiplayer gaming, yet so refreshing at the same time. Yeah. And that game company wouldn't have it any other way. And neither <laughs> would we. Well, I remember, uh, I, I think I read an interview with Jinova Chen where he was talking about how he wanted, he, he desperately wanted to make a multiplayer game, but he, he hated how, uh, I mean, this may not have been as much of a problem on PlayStation 3, and that's not a jab, it's just, you know, uh, he he was talking about how hostile people can be over you know using a microphone, um, and obviously don't have quite the same problem on PlayStation Three because they you just didn't really have the mics unless you had the I guess the little uh, earpiece. But um, it, he he was talking about how you know when he plays online games, people are just so hateful, and it's yeah. I mean that's that's the truth. Uh, but he still wanted to make it a multiplayer game or a cooperative, whatever you want to call it. And I, the nice thing about it is that the fact that you don't even have the option to talk, because I think that if you did have the option, you would almost feel obligated to ha like to say something. And if you're going through just talking about it, it actually wouldn't be as impactful. I think it would be kind of boring, actually, if you could actually talk to someone it would ruin while it. you're going through. I think it would ruin the game completely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> completely change the experience. Yeah. All right. So we haven't spoken about... One of our good old buddies from from when we were young tykes, um, but this non-talker also had one of the best games of the generation, and that's uh, Mario, Super Mario Galaxy. Um, I guess I'll I'll talk about it. I didn't really take the lead on any of these, but um, Super Mario Galaxy to me when it came out was so fresh and so new. It was the first game to really take on this this gravity mechanic and put you on these worlds. And it did it with such flawless execution. I was amazed that it hadn't been done before. 
it was just so new and and special, especially at coming off of Super Mario Sunshine, that it became immediately maybe my favorite Mario game uh, of all time. <laughs> it's it's funny that you mentioned that because like a lot of people were really bummed out by Sunshine for some reason. I thought it was a great game. I love it. Uh, I, I still think it's it's actually one of the better Mario games, but a lot of people didn't like it. I actually think that Galaxy is sort of did what uh, Super Mario 64 did, you know, when it first came out. Now, granted, um, you know, at this point, we're a lot, I mean, we expect 3D games, you know, but when Super Mario 64 came out, having come off of Super Mario World and and I was playing uh, Wario Land on my, on my Game Boy still, I mean, like, it was just completely, uh, you know, knocked down the boundaries and and really made you feel like you were free. And galaxy did that on a whole nother level because now you're actually leaving you know different planets and and celestial bodies and it it was uh it really changed the way that you had to think about uh what you were doing in these games with the boss fights um those were some of the most creative boss fights i think i've ever played still and uh yeah it's just uh I think where Super Mario Sunshine was sort of an extension of Super Mario 64, uh, you know, it didn't do a whole lot different uh, than 64 did. Galaxy was complete departure. It was just like really uh, completely, you know, blowing away your expectations or, or, or thoughts of what would be in the next game. And that's, you know, really the challenge with every, uh, I guess, every Mario game now is that you have to think, well, what's going to be the hook on this one? What is going to be different to where people aren't going to just say, Oh, well, I just played that game because that's the issue with, with the new Super Mario Brothers games. Um, they're all really good, but at the same time, they're not really all that different. And so I think when you have the main, the, the actual, you know, 3D Mario games, people expect there to be a, a major difference between them now. So uh, it, it was it was amazing. And Super Mario Galaxy 2 was even better, I thought. Um, yeah, you could yeah even... a few people thought that. Um... I didn't because I thought that it was even more streamlined uh, in terms of progressing through the levels, whereas the first one gave a little bit more leeway and a little bit more freedom to explore. But there were a lot more things to do in the second one, like different mechanics to play with and such, which are obviously you know good things. Super Mario Galaxy is the reason I even own a Wii, because I went over to a friend's house. I didn't own the system at the time, and... He said, hey, play Super Mario Galaxy. You like Super Mario? I said, yeah, okay. And I played it for an hour or two, and I go, this this is amazing, dude. <laughs> like, I need to get this system. Yeah. So then I got that system. I played Super Mario Galaxy, but I got it um, shortly before Super Mario Galaxy 2 came out as well. So those two games, even though I <clears throat> didn't spend as much time with the Wii as I should have for the amount of money it was, I loved Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Galaxy 2. It was it was an amazing display of creativity. Just how many interesting and fun ideas can you put in a game? And let's do it. Let's put it in there. Let's add variety. And let's get people to just play games and have fun again. That's what it felt like. And Super Mario Galaxy, the amount of creativity on display was just was really amazing. I honestly think that if you just wanted to play those two games it would be worth it to buy a Wii and sure. never play anything else. I don't, re- oh, yeah. I don't regret it. I'm I would glad f- I got to play those. Fully support that. I mean, Super Mario Galaxy right now 
is the highest rated video game of all time. Is it? So, is it higher than Ocarina of Time? It is. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, according to game rankings. Um, oh, okay. I I usually look at um, Metacritic, but I don't know. It, what it the... might be on Metacritic also. I just know for sure on game rankings sure. because game rankings is older and actually includes ah. more about the older games. So I, I feel like it's more. It's better for games. But, more um, thorough. Yeah. So if that was what's considered the best game, what did we end up with the most of us choosing on our lists of the best five games of the game generation? A uh, game that would make Dan Crabtree very proud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And that game is Bioshock. I remember personally for myself... Um, looking, looking back on it now, um, I want to travel back in a time machine and, uh, beat 2007 Mike Murphy senseless for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, uh, in my, going into my sophomore year of college and I had heard about Bioshock, but I hadn't really looked into it a lot. And I was like, eh, whatever guys in big diver suits and doing things and these That's weird, creepy cool. sisters, it's, it's going to be a horror game that I have no interest in whatsoever. So I thought that I would have my sights instead set on John Woo's stranglehold. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember talking to one of my friends at the time and telling him, and they were like, are you going to pick up Bioshock? And I said, no, I'm going to pick up John Woo's stranglehold. And they're like, for the love of God, before I strangle you to death, Go play Bioshock. Uh, so I went and uh, talked to one of my friends at college about it, and he, he let me play the demo. Or no, he had the game, and he let me play the game. Uh, that and it just blew my mind. I remember just so there's so many uh, iconic scenes in that game, from uh, from just Sandra Cohen to the ultimate twist with Andrew Ryan and Would You Kindly um, to the first time a you see a big daddy where he just tears a slicer to to shreds, um, even to the very beginning of the game where you go into the lighthouse and descend through the bathosphere and hear Andrew Ryan's uh, speech about how he chose Rapture, and as he says that, you see it for the first time, and that image ha- ha- is has forever been burned into my brain, and I'm as sure. Uh, hopefully your guys' brains and the brains of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gamers um, around the world. Uh, and all, all I can really say is that the Irrational Games, which was then known as 2K Boston and Ken Levine, they, they worked on a true masterpiece, and they were just at the top of their craft when they created that game. I agree with all of that. Um, I think a really important aspect of the game was how it sort of subverted how gamers thought about what they were doing in games and it it sort of questioned you know what playing a game means and uh it, it just you know it took things to a different mental level even though it was a first person shooter you know which tend to be pretty straightforward and it, it combined elements of of different genres in such a way that you you felt like you were in a really different sort of world because you were. I mean, Rapture was just completely different from anything we had seen up until that point, and they they perfected 
every aspect of this world. And um, I think generally a lot of games that put you into a world that has seen its decline and you're sort of exploring um, and, and learning about, you know, what made this place tick in the past. They're always super interesting to me, at least. That and that was something that really drew me in. It's kind of like Metroid Prime when you go to those uh, different planets and you learn about the the Chozo lore. Anytime you're you're uncovering lore like that, that's something that really gets me. Same thing with like Dark Souls, Demon Souls. But um, so much, so many good things about this game. We've we've talked about it so many times. I think another important thing is the way it presented a narrative that was. Unlike most games, like imagine, imagine them pitching this to a company. It's like, hey Ken, what are you guys, what are you guys working on? Well, we have this game. It's influenced by Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand, and it deals with objectivism and free will and utopia and dystopia. Those aren't <laughs> those aren't things that immediately appeal to a video game audience necessarily. I don't want to read Atlas Shrugged, and I never will, even though I understand it's important for its own reasons. But this idea of bringing these complex subjects that you wouldn't necessarily equate with video games and putting it in a game like Bioshock. It really showed how a video game narrative can go beyond what we might expect initially. And now we see games that deal with all kinds of controversial or complex or socially important topics. So in that way, I felt like Bioshock was a big influence on medium as a whole. And then Infinite did a similar thing with the way it deals with religion and other subjects such as that. So I, I feel like it created this movement in which games can now tackle subjects that we might not think they could in the past. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, I mean, not not a lot, whole lot to add to that, but I, I told you guys that uh, not too long ago, my whole experience with it. And uh, yeah, it, it was, you know, like I said, when I finally got to the halfway point, that's when it finally was worth it to me. Uh, to keep playing because it, it really finally started to get truly compelling. I thought, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was a lot more thought provoking than, than even a lot of games now. I think just, you know, if, if you go and you listen to all those audio files and, um, you know, there are certain things you'll miss, th- you know, on your playthrough. I'm sure. So if you go like, check out like a Bioshock wiki, uh, it's impressive how much detail there is in that game that alludes to, um, all of that, you know, uh, Really, I, I guess you call it extremist, uh, con- extreme conservative thought or whatever. But it's it, it was a very impressive game. I didn't on on the gameplay wise, like it was good. I didn't I, I didn't think it was great gameplay, but it was good. But I think the story is really what what makes it worth it. The ideas behind everything and and just all those social concepts and it makes you kind of think about your role and actually even playing the game itself. I think, um, yeah, with certain speeches and that kind of thing. So it, it was it was a great game. Absolutely. Well, that is uh, the extent of our list. I mean, we love a lot of games from the past generation. Uh, you probably could have predicted a bunch of these. We also, I'm going to just run through a few other games that had been mentioned. Uh, we're not going to go into any depth. I'm just going to name drop them. So some of the other games that we had considered were Elder Scrolls IV, Oblivion, Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, Assassin's Creed II, Braid, uh, the first Mass Effect, Amnesia, um, Fallout 3, Gears of War, The Walking Dead, and Heavy Rain. Um, and then we had all our favorites. But um, 
I think it's been a very complete generation. And as we talked about last time on Versus Node, there's been a lot of dynamic shifting of how developers approach game design. And we've seen a lot of good stuff come out of it as evidenced by the incredible games that we just talked about and so many more that we didn't talk about. But um, that's going to do it for our seventh generation recap series and we're going to move into the future i i want to add before <laughs> before we close the book here on on this last generation dark souls 2 is not out yet so it's potential for change and we'll revisit <laughs> <laughs> i oh, expect that to be the best game generation even though it's coming out next year but I mean, that's that's more of a joke. That's just my obsession, and I guess Anthony's too. Yeah, my obs- my new obsession. Exactly. Anthony's new obsession. You guys need to play those games. Do it. Yeah, but I mean, you you if you haven't played any of these games that we mentioned, or even the ones that I just listed at the end, there definitely get to them. They are totally worth your time, and by now they're probably really inexpensive. Um, so so get on those, and then welcome in the new generation when the games actually arrive. <clears throat> yes. that, that wasn't a jab yes it was um, but, <laughs> but until, until next time um, enjoy and thank you for listening and thank you guys for, for talking about the games thanks Anthony, thanks Mike and thanks Josh and thanks Greg even though you left we will see you <laughs> next <Jerk>. time <laughs> onwards to the next generation yay <laughs> 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 da 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 da